Good morning. If you're new and you're visiting us, my name's Gareth. I'm not one of the leaders here. <laughs> oh dear. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Peter. We're going to kind of dip into 1 Peter again as we carry on our, our teaching series, Bodybuilding. How can we build our core faith? How can we build our core strength in our faith as followers of Jesus? Oh, and by the way, um, um, as well as nine people giving their lives to Jesus on Thursday, last Sunday morning, four people made recommitments to Jesus. So that's 13 in the last seven days. Praise the Lord. It's good, isn't it? God is at work. So thankful for all that he is doing. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you found that being a Christian has been not the best topic of conversation um, with your group of friends or, or work colleagues, or you found yourself in a situation where perhaps you've been excluded um, for being a follower of Jesus, or people have um, made all kinds of assumptions about you or about what you believe because you're a Christian. Um, that happened to me in quite a big um, significant way when I was a teenager. I um, came to faith at the age of 13 uh, back in 1983, do the maths, and um, I was, um, my um, family, Christians, grew up in a Christian home and uh, came to faith on a, on a summer camp. And um, what I discovered having come to faith was that pretty immediately afterwards that faith was contested. Um, immediately it felt like I walked into a battlefield. Um, I wouldn't describe it at the time, but um, I remember very clearly um, in our town in Bury in Lancashire, which is the home of the culinary delicacy of black pudding. So delightful. Um, and um, um, the, it was in 1985, our church decided to hold a crusade, um, you know, where you have some uh, worship. Uh, back in the day, you'd have a sketch. Um, or a couple of sketches, and uh, the worship would be great. There would be um, flutes, there would be guitars, and there were tambourines. I had my own tambourine. I had a personal tambourine, um, as well as the tambourine having the rings of metal around the side that, you know, you could shake it. It also had some pigskin across it, um, so I could hit it at the appropriate time, and I could go, you know... Bang, bang. And so I felt like I was playing my own drum at the age of 13. I'm still playing my own drum. I just People just don't like to listen to it every now and again. But um, with this crusade was happening. And I remember very clearly, um, you know, people were invited to come to um, the grammar school um, to hear this evangelist speak. And there was this um, worship. And I remember very clearly on one specific night, it was about halfway through the week, um, coming towards the end of the contemporary worship song, This Is The Day. This is the day that the Lord has made. And at the end of that worship song, it usually followed um, some clapping, which went a little bit like this. This is the day, this is the day the Lord has made. We all rejoice. And we're glad in it. Boom. <laughs> Jesus. We were really with it in Lancashire, I tell you. Thank God for our worship songs nowadays. But I remember as it came towards the end of that little chant, at the back came this. Jesus! And I looked around and thought, mm, sounded a bit muted. That wasn't very kind of like in the spirit of things. Only to find a group of teenagers who were just jeering and laughing about what was taking place. Worse than that was I discovered that they were from my school. Worse from that, they were boys from my year group. And all to say, 
for probably about six, seven months, maybe even that whole school year, I experienced a whole load of bullying because I was a Christian. Um, because I sought to follow Jesus. And pretty much around the quadrangle in school, I'd be walking around and there'd just be this. <laughs> ah! And, um, you know, it just wasn't pretty. It wasn't pleasant. I wonder if you've ever had experiences where you've been ridiculed, perhaps for being a follower of Jesus. Um, maybe you felt, you know, um, that people have just disowned you or ignored you because you're a faith, you're, you're a Christian. I, I've had all kinds of conversations come to an end as soon as I tell someone that I'm a vicar. It's like, okay, great. You know, dinner parties don't go too well if you're a vicar. And, um, that's been some of my experiences, not all experiences. But I wonder if you've had an experience where you've been put down for being a follower of Jesus. That's primarily the missional context which Peter is speaking in 1 Peter. He's speaking to, speaking to the scattered church in Asia Minor, the, that area that we, we know as kind of modern day Turkey, and he's speaking to a church that is being persecuted for its faith. Now I know here in Cheltenham we don't have the level of persecution probably that even the first Christians would have been experiencing, particularly under Roman occupation. You know, any, if you know a little bit about you know, first, second, third century history and how the Christians were treated, it wasn't very pretty. And of course, um, even nowadays around the globe, many Christians are persecuted for their faith. Um, if you want to keep up to date on that, then I'd encourage you to subscribe to Open Doors. Uh, go to the Open Doors website and subscribe to their um, mail-outs, their emails that go out. And you know, they give you an update on you know, the watch list of what it's like to be a, a follower of Jesus in North Korea or in Syria, and you know, we've all seen the headlines, haven't we? Or we've seen you know, the Twitter request, please pay for, pray for this pastor who's in prison in Iran and uh, is soon to be executed. And you know, often, um, you know, we have responded in all kinds of ways, praying as a local church. But that's not the context that most of us experience here in the West and here in um, Cheltenham. But what I want to do is I want to take what lessons we can learn from Peter about pain and suffering for our faith and seek to apply them to the pain and suffering that many of us go through in life. Because I think Peter speaks just as much to that situation for us today. Back in um, the 1970s, Philip Yancey, who um, is one of the primary editors of the message um, translation of uh, the Bible, wrote a book, Where is God When It Hurts? I don't know if you've got a copy of that book. I couldn't find my copy, so I couldn't show it, but um, on the bookstall here, um, there's, a, there's a, a next book on from that, The Question That Never Goes Away. What is God up to in, in a world of such tragedy and pain? What is God doing? And if you have specific questions about um, human suffering and where is God in suffering, which is often one of the questions that regularly and repeatedly gets asked on Alpha, this brilliant book, Searching Issues by Nicky Gumbel, there's some great chapters in here on some of those issues and why does God allow suffering in the world is one of the questions that's, um, recommend, uh, that's answered in that book and I thoroughly um, recommend that. But where is God for us? Where is God for you when it hurts? And those questions around um, where God is when we're going through our pain and suffering are primarily questions of existence. You know, God, are you there? God, can you hear? 
You know, um, in, um, in Matthew chapter eight, um, as Jesus has begun his ministry, um, he's um, performed all kinds of miracles just after the Sermon on the Mount in chapter seven and, and then in, in, at the beginning of chapter eight, all kinds of miracles are recorded and then Jesus goes away with his disciples across, um, across um, the lake and they're in a boat and in this boat, this, this, um, this storm starts to build up and Jesus is asleep. Whilst this storm is overwhelming them and water is coming into their boat. I wonder if emotionally and physically sometimes it has ever felt like that to you. That actually everything is so overwhelming. The waters are coming in. I feel like I'm drowning. And Jesus, God, is asleep. Where are you? This morning, we're asking the question, how do we respond as followers of Jesus when we hit rock bottom or or when it feels like our whole world has collapsed in around us, in the middle of storms. Well, I imagine the early church were asking the same question, God, where are you? In 1 Peter, in Asia Minor, they were, you know, where is God? And that's why I think Peter responds with this letter because one of the questions prob- they were probably asking was, God, where are you in our persecution? Christians are being slaughtered for the name of Jesus. How do we respond? What are we to do? And we are grieving the loss of loved ones because of this. What do we do in our pain? And is it possible to build our faith when things are not going the way that we think they ought to? Perhaps life hasn't panned itself out for you and for your family or for other loved ones around you and you are experiencing pain right now. I imagine with the number of us here in this church, there will be a number that are experiencing loss of a loved one. Perhaps the pain of not being able to conceive. Perhaps, you know, work um, and um, isn't going the way that you thought. And that's causing a great deal of pain. You know, maybe you are someone that is being mistreated in the workplace or you're someone that has experienced abuse of different kinds, either in the workplace or in the the home place or through friends and, and, and family. You're experiencing pain, whatever it is where is God and is it possible to build our faith when we're in those situations one Peter we're going to look specifically at two passages one Peter and um, we're going to turn first to one Peter chapter three the words will appear on um, on the screen behind me but Peter is particularly addressing the question of suffering and persecution for being a follower of Jesus But I think this is advice that we can apply to our lives when we are going through our own pain and our own suffering. Verse eight of 1 Peter chapter three. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good deeds must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek patience and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And then over to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Another passage where he speaks to that situation of suffering and pain. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though suffering so, or the, as, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. Each of these two passages comes at the end of a section where Peter is um, encouraging the church to live holy lives, to live the life as a follower of Jesus, to, to abstain from sinful desires, to live a life that is um, appropriate for someone that is seeking to follow Jesus and to set a standard that is different from the worldview and from the context of which we so often find us. You know, we all know, don't we, that the kingdom culture often goes counter to our current culture or to the world culture, to the world's culture. And so um, Peter is, is in this, he's saying, it's not a surprise that when you seek to follow Jesus, when you seek to live your life um, for the kingdom of God, for his rule and his reign on the earth, that you're gonna come up against opposition. We should not be surprised when we face opposition and when that leads to pain and suffering. But the question for us today is what do we do when we experience it? How do we respond as followers of Jesus when we experience pain and suffering? Uh, a couple of years ago, back in November 2013, uh, Zoe and I got engaged. Yeah, thank you to the one person that whooped for that one. Um, Zoe and I got engaged. I'll tell Zoe how encouraged you were by that. Um, and, um, and she's over with the little ones. And, um, but shortly after, you know, all the, the, the joy, all the, you know, the, 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 the communication and telling people and the encouragements that we got that we were engaged and the, all, all that euphoric kind of like, you know, young love, youngish love um, was, you know, um, I can't go to the 20s and 30s young men's event, but if you need a sound engineer, guys, I'll be there. Um, but um, shortly afterwards, it was, literally it was two weeks after that incredible moment for the two of us, um, it felt like we were hit by a brick wall and Zoe got seriously ill. Those of you that were around then might be aware because it went out on prayer mail. Um, Zoe started to experience very severe headaches. Her best description for it was that she felt like her head was in a vice, 
Like it, her, her whole head was being compressed and it was being sort of like cranked up. And so um, she was actually visiting me at, um, at the time. And so we went to see our local um, GP who immediately said, I want you to go to A&E. And we went to A&E and immediately she was kind of like seen. She was seen by, um, you know, the triage nurse and then the doctor and then the consultant and registrar. And um, at one point, because she was in so much pain, um, I, th- I can't remember if it was the consultant or the registrar says, um, um, we may want to take her to French A Hospital, just so you know. And we all know, you know, um, head injuries, severe head injuries is what um, French A Hospital primarily deals with. And um, as Zoe was lying on the hospital bed in A&E, um, and she was, you know, saying to me, Gareth, I'm scared, I'm scared. And I'm like... Baby, it's okay, it's okay, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. Inside, I was petrified. I was petrified. You know, I'd found someone who I deeply loved and it felt like this was a moment when I was going to lose her because the doctors are saying we need to go to, because there was concern that it might have been, you know, a brain tumour or something. And thankfully, it wasn't. But inside, I was petrified and I was praying in tongues in the hospital, just crying out to God inside, whilst on the outside, trying to be, you know, the, you know, the confidence and the composure, you know, to, to just reassure Zoe that it was going to be okay. And inside, I had absolutely no clue. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in those kinds of situations. And in that moment, I was totally and utterly helpless and utterly dependent on God. You know, I, I do trust and I totally believe in, in doctors and nurses. I'm so thankful for an amazing um, hospital NHS service that we have um, here in the, the UK. But I was totally and utterly dependent on God. And it's like, God, where are you in this? I so need you to come and act. I, so, I don't know if you've ever been in those situations. And the question is, how do we respond? What do we do in those situations? Certainly we cry out to God. But a question we, we, we might want to ask ourselves is, you know, am I dependent on God in my life? Am I depend, are you dependent on God for your life? Are you dependent on God for your loved ones, for your friends, for your family? Do I trust him? Or will I run from him? Because it seems like God isn't delivering for me in this instance. God isn't doing what I want. You know, in the boat, the disciples were crying out, Jesus, save me, save me. You know, inside, when Zoe was in the hospital, I was crying, God, save her, save her, save her, please. And it's just like, we do that, don't we? And I think that's absolutely and utterly normal that we cry out. You know, it's fair to say that for all of us, pain and suffering is inevitable. It will come your way, it will come my way. It's the nature of our life that loss and pain and suffering are inevitable. If you want to know why, if you want to know about the origins of that suffering and why there is suffering in the world, I'd recommend getting those two books. You know, we've seen it in the last two weeks, haven't we, with Manchester and with um, the terrorist attacks in London. You know, it seems like our security forces and our political um, um, leaders are helpless in those situations as much as they try to protect us. And, um, you know, I loved what Justin Bieber said. (laughs) 
If you didn't see it, I'm going to tell you what he said. Incredible. In the Love Manchester concert, he said this. God is good in the midst of the darkness. God is good in the midst of the evil. God is in the midst, no matter what's happening in the world. God is in the midst, and he loves you. What an incredible testimony to 50,000 people in Manchester, and of course it was broadcast on BBC as well. An incredible testimony of truth. God is in the midst of our pain and our suffering. How do we know that? Because his promise is always that he will be with us. Irrespective of the circumstance, irrespective of your circumstance, whether it's highs, lows, you know, mountaintop experiences, valley experiences, God is in the midst. And to the particular discipleship issues of pain and persecution and suffering, Peter in his pastoral letter gives a, a list upon list of how we might respond as followers of Jesus. He says this, he says, in, in our pain, what will we do? He says, be self-controlled. Control yourself. How you're going to react. Just take the time to pause, perhaps. Set your hope fully on the grace of God. He says, don't lash out. In chapter 1, verse 13, he says, rid yourself of all deceit and hypocrisy and envy. Don't be like those who are persecuting you. You know, if people are sort of like saying to you, in your pain, where is your God now? Don't try and respond with insult. He says, abstain from sinful behavior. Live good lives. Submit to those who are in authority. Show respect. Love each other. Don't retaliate. Live for righteousness. He says, be sympathetic. Love one another. And repeatedly he says, doesn't he? He says it at the beginning of chapter one. He says it here in the middle. And he says it at the end. Love one another and love one another deeply. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. That's how we're to respond in our pain and, and, and suffering to bless others. You know, one of the things I, I love about um, our friend Robbie Dawkins when he's been here and he's told us some, some of our stories. Pray for Robbie, he's in the Middle East at the moment. Um, but one of the things I love about Robbie is, he, you know, whenever he comes under attack as he's seeking to step forward in faith, praying for the sick and um, seeing um, the power encounters of God, is that whenever he re um, receives some opposition, he sends a text to his, bo to his boys. He's got, um, I think, five, five boys, six boys, I think. He sends a text to his boys and he says, boys, I'm under attack. And they go to, they go to the emergency room. They go to the A&E at their hospital and they start to pray for the sick. I love that response. We are not going to be defeated. We are not going to be beaten down. But we're going to you know, step into the offensive and we're going to pray blessing on other people. Even in our pain and in our suffering. There's so much wisdom for us here. So much practical wisdom of how we might behave. Of how we might um, act as followers of Jesus. But I want to focus particularly just on one thing that sticks out for me repeatedly across this letter, and it's this, that there's a repeated encouragement that is so powerful that if we, if we engage more in it when we're going through our own pain and suffering, I think it, we will grow in our faith, and I think we'll grow and we'll see greater transformation in our life and in our community, and it's this, that Peter repeatedly encourages to adopt the posture of worship. And it's actually out of the worship comes the behavior, comes our actions. As we turn our focus 
totally and utterly on Jesus rather than the circumstances that we find ourselves. To worship in our pain and in our suffering. To worship Jesus. I don't know if you ever find this when you read the Bible, but you read something and you just think, really? Like, is God for real? Like, in my pain and in my suffering, you want me to worship. Because if I'm honest, that is off so often the thing that is furthest from my mind. And by the way, that's exactly what the enemy wants. The enemy wants your worship to be far from your actions when you're in your pain and in your suffering. That's his tactic. Don't worship Jesus. But focus on the pain and you know, focus on you know, how, how this has all come just to you. And why is it nobody else? And why is this happening to me? And all those questions. But Peter says, no. Worship Jesus. We have to remember we're in a battle, don't we? And Peter makes it very clear in 1 Peter 5. He says, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We are in a battle as followers of Jesus. Our faith and our advancement and our growth as followers of Jesus will be contended. That's what the enemy seeks to do. I love what Pete Gregg says in his book, Dirty Glory. The Bible is clear. We are engaged in a vicious spiritual battle in which God's purposes are contested constantly. There are terrible, excuse me, there are terrible evils that will only be restrained and wonderful blessings that will only be unlocked by our prayers. Prayer is worship. Prayer is worship. So Peter says, worship through your pain. Worship through your pain. Listen to these verses all throughout 1 Peter. In all of this, in all of your suffering, greatly rejoice. Though not for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. A couple of, the next verse. These things have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Love what he says in 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. What is it to revere Christ as Lord? It's to worship. It goes on in chapter four. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength of God so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And you might think Peter might finish his letter there. That would be a good point to finish. It'd be a high point to finish on his letter. But he goes on. But rejoice, verse 13, in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when glory is revealed. There is a joy and there is a strength that comes when we worship through our pain and our suffering. 12... Um, 13 years ago, no, 17 years ago, goodness me, 2000. Um, many of you will know um, that um, my first marriage came to an end. My first wife had an affair and committed adultery and my whole life kind of like, at that time fell apart. And I found myself in the summer of 2000 at Soul Survivor um, in the showering pavilion, if you can picture the showering pavilion if you've been, that's where the, it's where the new wine have the marketplace. And I found myself um, standing um, 
in the midst of this worship environment at Soul Survivor in the summer where I felt like my whole, you know, I felt like the waters had totally overwhelmed me. I felt like I was drowning. That's how it felt to me. And I found myself in that moment, tears coming down my face, singing that Matt Redman worship song, you are good, you are good, and your love endures. Worship is costly. Worshiping Jesus through our pain costs us. Peter goes on, verse 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. We've sung that this morning, the name of Jesus. Why does Peter tell us to worship through our pain? And by the way, Peter knows all about the power of worship when we're going through pain and suffering. Peter in Acts 16 is imprisoned. He's in in prison in Philippi. And what, what, what does he do? He worships Jesus. What happens when he worships Jesus? The power of God comes. You know, there's an earthquake. God sends an earthquake. The, 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 the jail doors are opened. He goes out and he's free. The power of worship in pain and suffering when we're held captive. There is some, something so immense, so incredible when we worship Jesus through our pain. When we worship through our pain, the power of God is released. And, you know, I love the fact that we have, um, you know, great worship songs here. I love what, you know, the songs that we've sung this morning. By the way, there is some not so great worship songs. You know, I love Jesus, he loves me, fluffy kittens and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm talking about worship that speaks out the proclamation of the word of God. You know, the Psalms are full of it, aren't we? Psalm 27, and I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's what God's spoken to us here at this church. You know, when we engage in worship, when we, when we take our eyes off our circumstances, when we take our eyes off our pain and on our suffering, and, and, and if we're, we're worshiping God through our tears, that's okay. That's okay. But when we worship God in that way, our focus goes off our circumstance and our focus goes onto Jesus. And God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, helps us to find new perspective. You know, great is your faithfulness. And the enemy would want to have us have a different kind of worship song playing in our mind, in our our suffering. I don't know about you, but... um, you know, at different times in my life, I hear certain soundtracks. I hear certain voices, but don't worry, I'm, not, I'm, I'm quite secure. I'm okay. I'm not going through any mental breakdown yet. Um, you know, every now and again, there, there are the same phrases that kind of like come in my mind sometimes. It's the enemy trying to oppose my faith. It's the enemy trying to beat me down. It's the enemy trying to um, you know, fill my mind with lies. And when I listen to those lies and when I allow that soundtrack to play, it starts to take life from me. How do I know that? Because the devil, the enemy, wants to rob, kill, and destroy. I wonder what your soundtrack is. Maybe your soundtrack is something like this. You're not good enough. You deserve this. No one loves you. You brought this upon yourself. 
Why would anyone listen to you? God doesn't love you. You're alone. God is not with you. You're useless. You're going to fail. You're a disappointment. It's never going to get any better. No one notices you. No one cares. I think all too often in the Christian journey, we allow the enemy's soundtrack to play on our minds. We allow those soundtracks to impregnate our mind and we start to believe the lies of the enemy. And that's all he can do, he can lie. That's the real extent of his power, that he can lie, distort the truth so that we believe it. Of course, scripture tells us to hold every thought captive, doesn't it, until Jesus. When we believe these lies, when we believe these soundtracks, and I think they particularly start to come in when we're experiencing pain and hurt and suffering in our life. You know, when we're going through pain and suffering, be sure that the enemy will crank it up. He's going to crank the sound. He's going to raise the volume of the soundtrack. But one of the amazing things is that we've got incredible soundtracks that we can listen to. We've got incredible soundtracks. You know, one of the soundtracks that we've been listening in the Dickinson household um, over the last three um, to five months um, has been this. idea what your life circumstance is at the moment and I, but I do know the enemy's strategies the enemy's tactics are to beat us down and to um, make us think that we're alone and that we're not worth it and that God is not with us and we need to sometimes recalibrate our thinking and worship and listening to great songs like that, that speak of truth and the presence of God 
in our midst, help us to recalibrate. Help us to know the power and the presence of God in our midst. And so in our pain and in our suffering, Peter says, will we worship? Great is your faithfulness, God. I've seen you move the mountains and I know you're gonna do it again. Imagine if that was the song of the church, day in, day out. That that was our soundtrack to the world. God is faithful. He will do it. We've seen him. You know, one of the things I love, you know, Matthew 8, in that, that picture of the storm coming around, Jesus is asleep. And basically, the disciples panic, and they, they wake him up. But I wonder if they just stopped and thought for a minute, okay, Jesus has just done a whole bunch of miracles. We've seen him demonstrate his power and his authority over sickness and disease. And he's asleep. What if I just kept my eyes on Jesus? He's calm and he's in the boat and it's okay. And sure, things may be tossing around, but may I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus? I mean, they woke him up and Jesus said, you know, little faith, come on guys. Jesus is so kind and so good. But may our eyesight be constantly on Jesus, worshiping him through our pain and our suffering. And may that be the testimony of you, me, and this church, and the church. Amen? Let's stand. We've got a bit of time before we need to pick children up so don't uh, rush away. Lord, um, we welcome your presence. God, we've seen you act in the last seven days. We've seen 13 people make commitments and recommitments to you. We've seen miracles in our midst. We believe you are the God who performs miracles and that your promise is your faithfulness to us. I wonder if you are here this morning and you feel like you're in a storm. Feel like things are overwhelming. Feel like you're drowning. Maybe you're going through some pain of loss, uncertainty. Maybe you're asking the question, God, where are you? God is here. God is in the midst. And he is in the midst of your situation. He's not left. He's there. Might feel like he's asleep. Look to him. Look to Jesus. May he be your peace. May he be your calm. Encourages in this moment just to invite God's Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, would you come? Awaken us to your presence. Holy Spirit, would you pour into this church? 
just in the worship, someone came and gave me a picture and the picture that they had was of the window behind me breaking and the Holy Spirit pouring in. Lord, that is what we long to see. Your Spirit pouring into our lives, into your church. Maybe you find it hard to worship at the moment because of your circumstances. I encourage you worship through the tears. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Lord, we welcome your presence. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come in this moment to all who are hurting, to all who are grieving, to all who are going through difficult times. I pray, God, would you come and meet them in the power of your spirit, with your grace and your love and your mercy. Holy Spirit, come.